Today's episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, advertising, multimedia presentation, or other type of film project. You can choose from over 2 million highly qu- high-quality stock video clips, 2D animations, and 3D motion graphics. They have clips in a variety of digital formats from low resolution for web usage to HD and now some in 4K. Shutterstock ensures you to get quality and selection from its video clip libraries. They have contributors who are professional filmmakers, and Shutterstock reviews each video individually for content and quality before adding it to its library. Shutterstock adds over 20,000 video clips each week, so every time you visit, you'll find something new. They also have flexible pricing. You can choose between individual clips or video packs for the best deal. Plus, Shutterstock makes it easy. Shutterstock has sophisticated tools so you can search and drill down by category, clip resolution, contributor name, and more. Why, just today I found some very cool footage of the TARDIS. It's a picture, but there are a bunch of pictures, and you can put them all together to make footage out of it. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. No credit card is needed. Just start an account, begin browsing Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and save video selections to your clip box. Once you decide to purchase, use the offer code NWP1014. That's NWP and the numbers 1014. And new accounts will receive 20% off footage clips. That's Shutterstock.com. And for 20% off any video clips with a new account, use the offer code NWP1014. We thank Shutterstock for their support. Now entering... Nerdist.com. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator of the Nerdist Writers Panel series. Follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker and let me know who you'd like to see on this series. I'm always looking for new ideas for TV show, movies, books, comics, anyone you like who writes things. Do me a favor, though, and check the archive to see if we've already had that person on whom you would like to hear from. Uh, I am a television writer. I've written for... Supernatural, Super Ninjas, and I'm currently on the Netflix uh, DreamWorks show Puss in Boots. Uh, I'm also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage production in the style of old-time radio, which is a weekly podcast here on the Nerdist Network. For more information, visit thrillingadventurehour.com. Each and every Nerdist Writers Panel benefits 826LA, the national writing program for students, uh, please check them out at 826LA.org. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. It's not a bummer of a show. It's not a bummer of I a show. I think feel like people who watched it said nice things about it, because yeah. there's a lot to like about it. Every week, we sort of find a new thing to hit in the show, and there are characters that are really emerging as... People that you didn't even maybe notice in the pilot mm-hmm. are really like you just like I love Emma. I love Emma. Her whole storyline to me is just tragic in the best way, and I think teenage girls <laughs> are going to freak out over it. You know, because yeah. it is so relatable, and it is one of those things where <coughs> it's not on TV, and you don't really get to t- not since once and again. I don't mm-hmm. think have you talked about an eating disorder mm-hmm. in any real way, and this is even you know this is an eating disorder that became hospitalized so it's like a really to me I'm fascinated by that because it allows us to do a lot of psychological stuff which for me is more fun than amputating legs 
Absolutely. Not that I don't like to amputate a leg. No, I've but, seen you know. often. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> clearly. And, and we're getting into it now, and I'm going to leave that part in where you say you like Emma. Uh, I love but, Emma. No, and I think that's great. And I think the show, like, it pushes that John Green button in yes. a lot of ways, where it's it's... You are surrounded by illness and death, yes. but it's not a downer. It's uplifting, yeah. Uh, and and it's the teenagers seem like teenagers, yeah, which is and, cool. And the kids on the show are very con- conscious of that. You know, I wrote for Dawson's, mm-hmm. and that was such a heightened sense of teenager. I don't know. Dawson. I found it very realistic. Very realistic, very <laughs> relatable. We did not. You didn't have that vocabulary as a, as a fifteen-year-old boy. I don't understand. What's your problem? <laughs> but. No, I think we're 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 trying really hard to keep it as grounded for for their for who they are in the age they're in. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, you you do get this really great heightened sense of drama with everything is truly life or death. Teenagers already think everything is life or death, and then for them, it actually yeah. is life and death. So it's sort of all it's this perfect storm. So let me ask you: when you're stepping into a show that is not your own. Um, <laughs> There must be a million things to grapple with, not least a staff that you didn't hire. Yes. Um, are, can you talk about that at all? Yeah. Even even being on the other side of that, because I'm sure you have had that experience as well, where you know you've had someone else. You've been a writer on a staff. Oh yeah, I love. Truthfully, whenever I'm not running a show, I make it my point to go yeah. try to try to hop on and be with someone else because I feel like you learn so much. Last year, when mistresses finished its season and it was sort of we didn't know what was happening mm-hmm. I went to ABC and I said where can I go? I love Lucky 7 I love Once Upon a Time in Wonderland <laughs> who needs a person in the room? I want to be a person in the room and I got really lucky because I got to go beyond Wonderland. Yeah. I met all these amazing writers I would never have met otherwise and I learned about things that I would never have learned because that show was so specifically mm-hmm. about the visual effects and all these things that being someone who does a lot of talking head soap operas. I had no idea what you could do with a green screen. And now I do. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> you, can, you can make a bunny. And John Lithgow exactly. into a bunny and he can talk and it's amazing. <laughs> um, but this is like taking over somebody else's baby in a very weird way. I was kind of groomed for it. How so? Because with Everwood, which mm-hmm. was a different story because I, I was... There from the first episode. Right. I wasn't part of the pilot. You came up in it. But I grew up on Everwood. And Greg Berlanti, who essentially taught me everything I know about anything, uh, very kindly handed me his child at season three so that he could go off and run Jack and Bobby and three other shows. Yeah. And so I felt like this tremendous responsibility of this is someone's baby. Mm-hmm. Someone else made this. They raised it to this toddler age, and now I have to take it over and still honor their voice. It's not like this moment where you can just, okay, and now it's mine, and I'm going to change everything. Because right. they've made something, the audience has fallen in love with what they've made, and you have to you know, honor it. And so sure. I think with Everwood, it was easier for me because I was you know, raising the baby alongside Greg, and mm-hmm. I, was, I had the advantage of having him with me for right. two years. You knew so the I knew, DNA, and you were part of the DNA. I was part of the DNA, sure. and I knew the DNA. Yeah. And I could always call Greg every other day, which I did, to say, I'm, I'm lost, <laughs> I need help. But, um, but this has been, and then with Mistresses, it was kind of the next step to that, which mm-hmm. was, KJ had written this pilot, but she then also had another pilot picked up that took her to Boston, and she was kind of ready to hit pause on mm-hmm. Mistresses, but the studio still wanted it to go, and the network was really excited about making it happen, and we literally had to 
sort of revamp the script, cast the whole thing, make it happen in three weeks. Wow. Which was exactly what we did. I came on, and maybe three or four weeks after I joined the process, we had, you know, a new script, an entire cast, we were in production, and we had to finish it with all of the other pilots because there was still this potential that we might be picked up for fall or we might be picked up for midseason, so they wanted us in with the same batch. That's so I yes, so <laughs> I've become really good at sort of <laughs> embracing things that are on fire in the moment mm-hmm. and trying to like keep it calm and and keep it moving. Well, I have, and I have kind of two questions about that, which are kind of the two sides of what you do, and and one is the creative, and we'll get to that. But the other is like, how do you step in and be a general? when the staff has lived with someone else or more than one other person uh, for the past few months? I think for me, it's always... You honor that everyone is trying to do their best. And for whatever reason that things have not been working or, or fires have erupted, it's not... It really isn't because there's someone in there not trying hard. Whenever you come into these things, everyone is trying so hard. <laughs> and so for yeah. me, when I come in, the, the first thing I try to do is, is, like when I came into Red Band, the first thing I did was say, you guys are amazing. <laughs> I want us to be a new family. This is all, you know, we have to sort of, let's just continue moving forward. Let's never, let's never look back. I guess my whole thing is always, there's no point in looking back. There's mm-hmm. only forward. Let's pick out all the things that are working Let's write them down. Let's pick out all the things that you guys are feeling as a group aren't working, and then I can, hmm. I can address those. Yeah. Certainly, they've been there and they've seen exactly. So but I think it's important to, to use, all the pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. It's not about going in there and trying to do it by yourself because you die. You just get overwhelmed. And yeah. I think, more often than not, the, st- the studio. There's all these people who have been involved in picking in picking all the members of this party. So, you find out what everyone's special superpower is mm-hmm. and you and you make them use it <laughs> and then we all and then we just reform a new little club yeah. and that's what's been happening here and it's been I feel like we're finally we're hitting our stride and we're in a good place and we're shooting episode 7 and no one thought wow. we would get here and it's amazing yeah that's really great that's yeah. really impressive um, I can't wait to see the episodes that come in after, yeah. after you've been there for a while. Yeah. That'll well, well really this this week, this week, tomorrow night. Oh, nice. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, and then on the creative side, and I am like, especially with something like Everwood, you're taking it over from the creator um, of the series. How do you keep it his vision, but still put your own stamp on? With Everwood, it was really funny because there was a very specific character that actually two characters that, that we brought in in season three. One of them very much lived in the traditional Everwood universe, which was when we brought in Sarah Drew to play Hannah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she dove right into our teenage world, and she was perfect, and, and Sarah Drew was amazing. And it was, it was a seamless transition that we would have done, and it all would have happened that way. Mm-hmm. We also brought in Scott Wolf, mm-hmm. who I was obsessed with. <laughs> <laughs> because oh I loved him so much in Party of Five, Oops. and he's brilliant, and he was one of those like <laughs> rare actors who could 
be super dramatic and super comedic all at once. Mm -hmm. And for me, the one thing that I kind of wanted to infuse in Everwood, because I grew up in comedy and started in comedy, was to give it a little, a little jolt of more humor, and mm -hmm. that's what we did with Scott Wolf's character. And at first there was a bit of a resistance, I think even from the audience, and everyone was like, oh my god, are we going cheesy? What's happening? Um, <laughs> but then everyone fell in love with him, and of course he, he became right. part of the show, and he wasn't just this comic relief character. Truthfully, the comic relief character, which is my favorite story, I mean, I look at that all the time, uh, was Chris Pratt. Yeah. Who no one could imagine what would happen with Chris. But, like, he was always... He evolved as the comic relief. In mm -hmm. the very first season, he was just this mean bully, and his part was actually really small. We quickly realized that he was a comedic genius, and we just switched him to being the mean bully to the dumb bully, uh -huh. which was infinitely more fun to write, and his storyline took over. But I think, I think with Everwood, that was the biggest shift, is I was trying to sort of infuse a little more of my comedy background and Greg was always supportive of that and I always did it sort of with his blessing but you do want to put your stamp on things sure. you do want to it's how you make it your own and otherwise you can't you have to care otherwise you can't do this that's, that's <laughs> absolutely right yeah. uh, I mean you've worked on a number of shows too it's not always easy to care no it's not always easy to care <laughs> can you fake it what do you do you can't fake it when you're running it I don't think sure I think when you're running it, it's one of those things where you have to love your baby even if your baby's ugly. No one, no one wants to tell you you have an ugly baby. You're just not going to see the ugliness in your baby. And you're like, what are you talking about? It's adorable. So what? It's getting a point eight. Who cares? It's a beautiful child. But if you don't feel that way, you'll just get pulled under. But when you're working on someone else's show, I think... You can, because you don't take it home with you. That's that's the mm -hmm. real difference. Like, you don't take it home with you in the same way. You you go there, and hopefully you give it your all for whatever the hours are that you're there, and you do whatever your showman requests of you. But as much as even you want to help, at the end of the day, it's there's that one person who's running it who's going to sure. make all those last decisions and answer all the calls and, and have to take it. So it's, it's easier to do when you're... Yeah. Yeah. It's also kind of weird dance you have to do because you you have to find the things to care about yes. right? you have to find you have to take some pleasure in this otherwise why are we doing it exactly exactly um, but ultimately it is someone else's say when you're writing on a staff and and like yeah i don't know it's it's something i'm dealing with now which is why i bring it up I'm oh like, really you get excited about here's a, a story and then the showrunner doesn't like it or, you know, there's a turn that right. he or she adds or takes away that makes it not the story you wanted to tell. Right. That's that's a tough position to be in. It's very hard. I've been in that I have been in that position. I I, I was I was brought on to a show once and I, I thought it was going to be truthfully when I and when I thought it was a love story and I was very excited and I was because it was something that I hadn't done on all these other levels, but I was really excited. And then, as the further we got into the the room, yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is not a love story. This is something else entirely. I don't know how to pitch in this room." And I I, I would try every day, yeah. but it was you know at a certain point I realized I don't. This is not the best fit for me. Um, and again, if you're if you're nice and if you just if you're honest with people and say. I just don't think you're ever going to get everything you want out of me because mm -hmm. I don't know that I fit into your brain in that way. 
and hopefully it all goes well. It doesn't always go well, but hopefully it goes well. <laughs> In this case, it went fine. Right, and here are the things I can offer right. anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a strange... Uh, it's, look, it's a weird job. It's yeah. a weird job. It's a weird job. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit, if you would, about your comedy beginnings. I'm really curious about that. My comedy beginning started with Chris Hardwick. <laughs> so there yeah, you go. Tell me on the record. <laughs> on the record, my very first job was for a show called Guys Like Us for UPN. I was actually, I had been a writer's assistant for a few years prior. I was on Ned and Stacy, mm-hmm. and I was on Men Behaving Badly. I mean, These were tough shows, from what I understand. Yeah, they were tough shows. <laughs> I was on the second season of Men Behaving Badly. So they had a second season? I know, Ken Marino. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, Ken Marino. And Ned and Stacy is, you know, Deborah Messing before she was a Grace. Yeah. So when her hair was still curly all the time. So Deborah Messing <laughs> gave me great hair product, I'll tell you that much. Nice. <laughs> it's the best thing, best thing ever <laughs> uh, for curly haired Jewish ladies. She was really kind. So I did Ned and Stacy and I did Men Behaving Badly. Um, and and you were as a, a, as a writer's, writer's assistant. assistant on it? As a writer's assistant. So that assistant. must have been like an unbelievable learning experience. It was amazing. For good and bad. It, it, it was. It was unbelievable. Cause you're, and it was and a comedy room, which is so different yeah. than a one hour room. And, and in Ned and Stacey, I wasn't. I was technically a, a WGA intern. So mm-hmm. I didn't actually have the responsibility of being at the computer, thank oh, God, because that would have been terrifying. Um, I got to just sort of sit and occasionally I would throw out a joke and Michael Whitehorn would be like, look at me. And, <laughs> and I'd be like, sorry, is that okay? And he's like, that one was good. I was like, okay, I'm going to stop talking for like three more days and just see what <laughs> see what right. else I can get in there. Um, but then on Men Me Having Badly, and I did a show, The Closer, not the Kira Sedgwick Closer, the, closer? the Tom Selleck Closer for CBS. That's right. There were a lot of pigeons. There were Selleck. It was Pen- Penelope Ann Miller, who cut to 15 what? years later. She's on Mistresses with me. Yeah. So it's a very small world. Um, Funny. Yeah, at Dector, Dector and Strauss. It was their show. It was a, and that was it, was, it was an amazing experience. It does. It teaches you how to be in a room. It teaches you how to understand the dynamics of what's going on. And you're able to watch where people make mistakes by not listening, by not reading the room, and, and it's, it, was, it was all pretty amazing. And then my very first staff job from that came to Guys Like Us with Mr. Hardwick. Wait, so now, you were telling me before we started rolling, what the show was, I, don't, I guarantee nobody remembers the oh show. Oh my god, I'm what are you play. talking about? It was this, genius! <laughs> Chris is going to love to hear this. Oh my god. He gosh. listens to every podcast on the network. Yes, of course. Hi, Chris! <laughs> Quality control. <laughs> um, what, tell me what that show was. And were you a staff writer? I was like, a staff writer. First it was my very job. first job, and I was paper teamed. So, because, oh, really? yes, it was a crazy... They, it wasn't even because they had no money. Really? Um, they really were not very interested in hiring a lady on this show. Um, and at the time, the studio was adamant that, that, the, that the showrunners bring in a female writer. <laughs> Imagine. So I know. So I kind of warmed my way in to get this meeting. This other guy who had also been a writer's assistant uh, on Seinfeld, so he was a way more prestigious writer's assistant, not going to lie. And he had a fourth in his name. His name was George Doty IV. And he had already basically been given the staff writing job when the studio said, you need a woman on your staff. Interesting. So they sort of hooked us up together and made us into this paper team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show, <laughs> I remember it 
almost too well. The show is about Chris Hardwick and Bumper Robinson, who were buddies in college, and they lived together, and they worked at this groovy record store, and awesome. Linda Cardellini was like this groovy chick who used to visit the record store, and I think she was Hardwick's girlfriend on the show, and then Bumper Robinson's dad was like moving to China, and so Bumper, at the age of 24, or however old he was supposed to be on the show, uh, had to raise his adorable six-year-old boy, Maestro. Mm. And so it was the three guys living together. It was, truthfully, it was two and a half men, pre oh two God, and a half yeah, men, basically. Funny. It was the same. It was the same concept. Um, not quite the success. <laughs> the two and a half men. Well, I blame UPN. You know, they I blame. Just went away. Yeah, they missed it. They missed the boat. <laughs> exactly. Clearly. Um, but that was my that was my very first. That's hobby. fascinating. How did the uh, paper partnership work? Paper partnership was hilarious. <laughs> I, I actually. T- totally remember it because first it was they wanted us to share an office as well and it was just so odd and there was not enough space so we actually wound up like living in this giant outer office so that we didn't have to be right on top of each other so actually neither one of us took an office because it seemed easier to just not and then you know the, the order we had a 13 episode order and we were waiting for a back nine and when the first script came up it was it came down to how do you guys want to do this and Neither one of us had ever written a script with another person. Yeah. And it is a... I've now seen so many teams and how they work. And it's a special gift. Sure. And it's a gift of compromise that, to be quite honest, I don't possess. <laughs> it's not where I live in the writing. Well, it's also something you figure out as you go, which you guys were not getting. Which we were not... Yeah, we did not know how to do it. So we had made this decision. I remember, it like, we got our first episode in the first 13 order, and it was on the Halloween episode. And George and I were like... If you just want to write this one and I'll take the next one Because of course we were so naive and thinking Of course there's going to be a back nine So I feel like I I can't even totally remember to be honest But I think we didn't write it together I think I wrote the first one And and truthfully in a sitcom It's all, by the time it goes to the screen It's been written by every single person on the staff anyway And I assume these were all broken Like it was a more, it was a traditional room It was a traditional room Yeah, you write the first draft And then you bring it back to the Mm -hmm. room And then the room rewrites it from the page one anyway so I think and we shared the credit but we didn't we never actually sat side by side so and funny. argued about the ands and the, <laughs> and the jokes because I think neither one of us would have made it out alive we wouldn't be here to tell these stories today that's great <laughs> um were you the only woman on staff? I was the only woman for miles. We didn't even have we didn't even have a female writer's assistant. Um, although our line producer, our line producer was was a woman. She mm-hmm. worked upstairs, so I barely got to see her. Um, but yeah, there were not a lot of ladies. Not a lot of ladies. Uh, Barry O'Brien, who was the who was the showrunner, Dan Schneider had created it, but mm-hmm. Barry was running it. And Barry was very kind and always tried to make me not <laughs> feel like the only woman for miles. Um, but you know, y- yeah. you feel that. But I mean, like you say, <laughs> they they didn't want a woman on staff. They didn't. I, they didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was. Do you feel? Did you feel that? In the room, or at a certain point, is it just this is a comedy room, it's, which is unwelcome? And yeah, enough. it's funny. I think I was so nervous, to uh-huh. be honest. I didn't. I had been on Ned and Stacy, uh, you know. Also, I think Ned and Stacy only had one mm-hmm. female writer the year that I was there, hmm. um, and so I was the, I was physically in the room, but there was only one other woman hired. So it right. wasn't. It didn't seem so unusual to me and the kind of jokes that happen in a writer's room 
especially in a comedy room that's mostly men, you know, it wasn't, you sort of get numb to it, mm-hmm. and which is good, it's helpful. Uh, so I, I think I was more just nervous about keeping my place and keeping up sure. with the boys and proving that I could do it. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny, since then, and especially in drama rooms, it's not like that anymore. Yeah. You know, and with the, the show that I'm on now, and I didn't staff this show, mm-hmm. there's only two boys. <laughs> so it's all women and, yeah, and two male writers. Right. So it, so it's it the shift has been... I don't know if that shift exists in comedies yet. I think comedies... I don't know, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But in one hour, you definitely don't feel it quite as much. Mm-hmm. But is there... Have you worked in a room that you feel like is the best example of a functional writer's room? Ever would. Really? Yeah. What made it so? I think it was... Well, Everwood also will, for me, always be this nostalgic, amazing experience. We, it was four years of my life, which I haven't had since. Mm-hmm. This mistress is being, getting its pickup right now for a season three. Yeah is huge for me. It's the first time. But even with Mistresses, we make 13 episodes a year. And with Everwood, we did 22 episodes a year for four years. It's college. It's high school. It's like this chunk of time. Um, And I think what made it work was Greg. You know, because Greg did so much. Greg would do all of the heavy lifting before all the writers came in. He knew what the what the general storyline was going to be moving forward. Mm-hmm. He'd got he'd done all that work so that everyone when they came in the room could come in and do their best work, could play and offer up specifics and offer up mm-hmm. small things to help improve upon or make the giant arcs work more, but it it's hard to get eight people to come up with an arc. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's where you and that's and I think for me in terms of and, and with Privileged which was my very first show yeah. it's hard to have that kind of perspective because it was my first show and I was so nervous about it so I, I think we had a lot of fun I had a lot of fun I loved <laughs> Privileged I thought it was a great experience but I would never I, I feel like I couldn't say that about that because I just I don't know because maybe you'd talk to everybody on the staff and they'd say I was a crazy person <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> but like everyone I just remember everyone was happy to come to work we had really normal hours if Greg couldn't use the writers he would say don't come in wow you know and like so that when everyone was there they were really they wanted to be there they were happy to be there they were able to do their best work no one felt like they were being abused or overused or no one felt like they were turning out material Mm -hmm. just to get thrown out which can become such a debilitating and depressing part of the job yeah I guess I was going to ask about that Did, did you all feel like you were putting what you wanted to see, what the room wanted to see on the screen. Oh, yeah, for That's sure, really cool. for sure. And it was it was fun. And the room was always really honest. I told, I feel like I told Allison this story once where we had, in the fourth season, and we we had this whole pitch. And So I had arced out the fourth season with Greg mm-hmm. and brought it to the room, and I had imagined this one point <laughs> Ephraim was going to redo his Juilliard audition. Like, I had the whole thing, and I thought it was going to be so epic, and I was so excited about how we built to it. And like the week, so and I had pitched them that at the beginning of the year, and then the week before we were starting to do that story, one of the writers, David Hudgens, who's now sure. you know amazing as well, who was always amazing, but now even more amazing, uh, came up to me and was like, "Okay, FYI, nobody likes that story." I was like, "What are you talking oh about?" God. He's like, "We can't do it. It's crazy. You've lost your mind." I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like. 
Ephraim cannot redo his Juilliard audition. It's over. The moment is passed. You have to let it go. And I was like, I was so stunned. I'm like, everyone feels this way? He's like, everyone feels this way. And I was like, okay. so funny. We're not doing it. And so, you know, it was that kind of a room. And it's great when you have a room that feels like they can tell you that. That's, to me, it was the best and worst moment of my time as a showrunner because it was like, oh, everyone thought I had the worst idea ever. Sucks. (laughs) But... No one was afraid to tell me that mm-hmm. they thought it was the worst idea ever. So I felt that we have a good room. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's the kind of collaboration you look for. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about Privilege for a minute. I really like that show. Me too. <laughs> I wish I, I don't think I have a privilege. Oh, yeah, there it is. Did they make them? Oh. Well, I have, yes, the <laughs> posters. Hilarious. So that's, uh, that's Lucy Hale <laughs> to yeah. your left and Archer and Ashley Newbrow, who I've been able to take with me. To mistresses, and God willing, I'm going to find a spot for her on Red Band. That's great. Love that girl. (laughs) Um, How how did the show, what were you coming off of, and how did this... I was coming off of Pushing Daisies. Land with you, okay. So we were, I was working on Pushing Daisies in the first season, and I had just, I had shot my very first pilot uh, that season, and that didn't go. Mm -hmm. And of course, devastated. Devastated and never developing again. This is the worst thing ever. Can you tell us? It was called Reinventing the Wheelers. Mm -hmm. It was it was my it was a little show about a a law firm in the South, family law firm. It was crazy. Anna Camp, Mary Steen. I got to meet Mary Steen Virgin and Ted Danson. So basically, (laughs) it was amazing. Um, But that pilot didn't go, and I went right on to Pushing Daisies. And because I had just come off of the heartbreak of your pilot not going, and I didn't realize that's a heartbreak you have to build a callus to and just move on and get mm-hmm. over. Um, I was like, I'm not developing this year. Forget it. Mm-hmm. I went on Daisies. Um, Daisies was another very intense experience, a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And around the middle of that, I remember Peter Roth pulled me out for a lunch and he said, so what are you developing this year? And I was like, I thought I wasn't developing. He's like, I know you thought that because you were sad. (laughs) And now you're not sad. What are you developing this year? And I said, okay. And he was right. And it was a good lunch because I've not done that since. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got this book. Alloy came to me and they they gave me this book. It's ironic because I had gotten the gossip book, gossip girl book prior. No kidding. And I couldn't wrap my head around it, thank God, because I would have destroyed it, to be quite honest, and Josh and Stephanie made it perfect and did exactly what it was supposed to be. I would have really made it adorable, and it would have been terrible. <laughs> so, And that's what I liked about Privilege. That's what I liked adorable. about Privilege. Well, Privileged, it was funny, because the book had that same really dark, dark kind of mean girl thing happening mm-hmm. in it, and I remember I sat down with, with Bob Levy at the time, who was Alloy, and it was their book, yeah. and I said, look, I cannot write these, like, three horrendously mean girls. It's, it, I was a women's studies minor in college. I, I don't live here. But I think there's a way to do this that sort of turns the tables, and it's the antidote to Gossip mm-hmm. Girl, and it's sort of more living in the Gilmore Girls universe mm-hmm. where the WB was yeah. thriving back in the day. And if you guys are interested in that version, I can totally do that. Interesting. And they were, in theory at the time mm-hmm. um, and the show I mean the numbers that we had then compared to what the numbers now on CW it's yeah. a tragedy <laughs> that we were can't it was a it was a great it was a great experience we got Joe. I mean the cast alone to have Joanna Garcia Lucy Hale yeah. who's now this huge star and we all knew the whole cast was just fantastic um, 
and it was such a gift. And they let us do. They did. There was resistance at first, and we we were coming up at the same time that the CW was really making an aggressive shift. Mm-hmm. Um, the nine hundred two one zero, and I did. I butted heads a lot with the people who were running the network at the time because mm-hmm. I felt it was such a shame because it was a network that I, it was catering to young girls and the messaging to young girls mm-hmm. I thought was atrocious and that and they had this poster that that year that we the year after we premiered when we didn't get picked up their their poster was uh See you next Tuesday. Yeah. And I lost my mind. It was that whole campaign. Yeah, that whole campaign. That. And I, it was the first time where, and if, if Allison had known me then, she would have cut off my hands because she, but I, <laughs> I went on the internet, which I never do, and I basically said, shame on you, CW. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's wrong, in my opinion. It's, you yeah. do have, you don't have a responsibility to make moral programming. I'm not going no, that road. But you but can set an example. You can set an example, and it doesn't have to be across the board what the WB had done so brilliantly and what Jordan Levin had created was it had every show it had everything it had your Dawson's Creek which was your snarky soap to Mm -hmm. a certain extent and then it had 7th Heaven and it had Gilmore and it had Buffy and it had Felicity and it it did all these amazing things and then all of a sudden in one Mm. change of administration it was six shows where girls are taking off their clothes and giving BJ's in the teaser and it was I was shocked <laughs> and when, upset when you pitch them the your version of the source material can you talk about developing that script a little bit do you remember I do that process? it was an amazing process because we basically didn't develop it really because it happened right at the point of the strike oh wow so I was we barely developed it mm-hmm. we had barely talked about it we had had a quick lunch um, with the book, I said, "This is essentially how I would adjust the book." Mm-hmm. Then there was the strike. Mm-hmm. The strike ended. If they wanted me to write something, they didn't have time to develop it with me. So I wrote it as fast as humanly possible, <laughs> turned it in, and because they really—I mean, it was in any other universe. To be honest, I don't think she would have picked it up. Really I think she didn't have enough material yeah. coming towards her, and the studio Warner Brothers was incredibly supportive, and it was. Peter Roth, to his credit, who had also been a huge part of creating what was working on the WB, mm-hmm. completely got it. Mm-hmm. And when you have Peter on your side, yeah. it's an amazing experience. Well, he is a guy who's known for he, he is liking the, quality things. And he is and the most passionate salesman yeah. in that regard. So when he liked something, which he did, he basically sort of, I think he came at Dawn with full force and, you know got it on and then he was as surprised as I was we were all expecting a second season and it was the weekend before the upfronts that he called me with this very depressing lunch (laughs) to say it's not looking good and I was like what happened and he's like I have no idea but the tide has turned it's over you know it was like on a Friday and they were announcing Monday and he basically knew and it was and I was pregnant at the time and hadn't told anybody because <laughs> I didn't want my pregnancy to affect the pickup. Sure. Oh. And so then which it was... ridiculous. I know, which was ridiculous, but, but it was on yeah, my mind, absolutely. so I was, like, trying to keep it together. And then it was ridiculous because the show didn't get picked up, and they said, okay, so what do you... We think maybe you could do this instead, or maybe you want to run this. And I was like, 
Okay, so now is a good time to tell you I'm pregnant. <laughs> I had a super duper plan for how it was going to work on Privileged, but I don't Aww. really know how it's going to work. So that but it's was... interesting that they, I don't know, they didn't seem to blame you. That they were ready to say, like, here's other stuff you can work on, or here's something else we can develop together. Definitely. The studio the studio was great about it. It was, yeah. you know, I think it... it it's a network thing. It was a network thing, and they were. it was very clear how the network was going. Yes. For what it's worth, I think the network has shifted back. Mm-hmm. I think they tried it again. They gave they gave Happy and Adorable one more shot with Liz Tigelar's awesome Let's series <laughs> and killed that too for the same reason yeah. for being too happy and adorable. Yeah. Um, these were ABC Family shows. Totally. These were these were back in the WWWB day shows, Absolutely. and that's where Liz and I both grew up. So yeah. we were sort of operating under that same universe. But yeah. Um, yeah. But it has changed back, and I think you start to see, like, with this Jane the Virgin happening, and with last year even trying it with Emily Owens, which I know, but I feel like the, I feel like it's slowly moving away mm-hmm. from just super slutty land, yes. which is very... Well, I think they, they realize how limiting that is yes. with uh, Gossip Girl diving uh, so fast. Yeah. Um... I forgot what I was going Yeah, it was, it was the, the show that... It was a crazy thing, because I will never forget the call. When, they, when Don called me to say that Privilege wasn't coming back, it was essentially to make room for Melrose Place and The Beautiful Life. <laughs> um, because according to her... Yeah, according to her, undeniable programming... <laughs> Uh, no offense to Melrose Place. <laughs> Actually, offense hilarious. to Melrose Place. No offense to Beautiful <laughs> Life. Anyone who's trying is trying. But I, it was it was just the whole thing. I was like, really? Undeniable? Because one of them you only shot 10 minutes. And we had 18 episodes that were very well received. Yeah. But, you know, that's fine. <laughs> um, it was a dark time. It was a dark, <laughs> it was a dark, dark moment. Well, then you have to go off and have a baby. <laughs> then you have to go off and have a baby. So I had a baby with Eastwick. I had an Eastwick baby. <laughs> um, and Eastwick was kind enough to get canceled two days before I gave birth. So it worked out great. <laughs> and then Maggie got to go off and make a much more successful <laughs> show about witches. So <laughs> truthfully, true. everyone everyone was happy. It That's all worked out for everybody. I got... A little extra maternity leave, and Maggie got to do the show the, about witches that she, she wanted to do, <laughs> which she was never going to get to do with Eastwick. So right. it really did miraculously all work out, as it sometimes does. Uh, I, but before we move forward, <laughs> I want to go back. Um, let's talk about Dawson's for a minute. Mm-hmm. The Creek. The Creek. <laughs> um, where did this fall in your career? You had you were obviously moving out of the comedy stuff. I had moved out. I had so right after guys like us actually guys like us went down. I went back to temping. Mm-hmm. Um, no kidding. Oh yeah, I was temping all oh, that throughout. That must have felt the worst. It felt it felt <laughs> rotten, but I was luckily young enough to not know any better. I was you know I was <laughs> just okay. I that went down. I still have to pay my rent. I went back to the temp pool, um, and I had written a play mm-hmm. called Why Buy the Cow, and that play got me into UTA, which was sort of the, the thing that changed my life. And Did you, you staged it somewhere? I No, Why by the Cow I never staged. I had staged another play, because um, that, that's sort of how I came into TV writing, to be mm-hmm. honest. I did playwriting in college, and it seemed to translate the most into sitcom writing, hmm. even more than one hour, because yeah. sitcoms, it's all character, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's basically a black box yeah, especially yeah, then. Especially, it's, it's, no, I know, now, it's, now yeah. it's totally different. Oh, my God. But um, 
yeah, so I had written this play, and UTA Dan Ehrlich, who's amazing, and has been my the best person ever for so long, got me put the UTA covers on the script, which apparently changed the universe. Oh, funny. And it went out, and I got three meetings. My first three meetings ever was the Michael Malley Show, Jack and Jill, and the spinoff to Party of Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jennifer Love Hewitt sure. She was a ballerina That's really all I remember of that <laughs> <laughs> She was wearing a really cool ballerina outfit I can't even remember the show um, And I had really wanted to do Jack and Jill But UTA had been pushing me To Take the Michael Malley Oh yes to, And because the Michael Malley show was this huge thing It was a UTA yeah. package Every fancy comedy writer in the world was on it And I had gotten past like The first level of meetings and so they really wanted me to do mm. that. And then, but the only thing that you had to do to get on that show, the last rung was to be approved by Michael Malley. Mm. And Dan knew that I really wanted to do Jack and Jill, and I had met with Randy, and she loved the play. And it was like, I was 25 at the time, and I thought, other, aside from the fact that they're all the most insanely gorgeous human beings that ever lived, <laughs> I was like, this is my life, except right. so much prettier. <laughs> Everyone is so much more beautiful than I am. <laughs> it seems so relevant. And Dan knew I wanted to do that, and so he kind of positioned it in this amazing way where my meeting with Mike wasn't scheduled until a Monday, and he had the Jack and Jill offer. They put a clock on it Funny. for a Friday, and he sort of presented it, and he was a young agent at the time, too, so it was like a very chutzpah move on his part. <laughs> and he basically said to the partners, what if she looks like Mike's ex-girlfriend, and what if Mike hates her? And then we lose her both these things, and you got to... We should just take the bird in the hand. That's and he funny. had essentially created the bird in the hand for yeah. me. Um, and it changed everything, because that's what got me on the WB. That's yeah. how I got to Dawson's. And it kind of branded you. Totally branded that's me. interesting. Totally branded me. And I spent, and because I was, and it's funny, because I look back at it now, and it's 100 years ago at this point, <laughs> but I was 24, 25 when I started that show, and I had nothing to do but whatever Randy wanted me to do. I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't have nothing. I had nothing going on. I had the best writer you can hire. Best writer you can hire. I look for them every time I staff. I, I'm totally free to admit. I always look for at least one person who that's who. This is all they want to do right now because yeah. it's a game changer. And I basically sat wherever Randy wanted me to sit. She would throw me on set. She'd let me come with her to post. She, wow. I was rewriting with her because everyone else on the staff, now that I look back, they were the age I am now, <laughs> and they all had toddlers, and they were breastfeeding and this, and trying to do open, you know, and trying to yeah. do all the stuff that I'm now trying to do and juggle it. And so I, would, I was able to stay with Randy night and day. Mm-hmm. And so I learned all these tiny little pieces. I, I, it was my first time in post. It was my first time on a set where I was left alone with directors and actors and you know, what did you even do? I left alone on a set. sat there and allowed myself to be berated. <laughs> you know, I would apologize on behalf of our terrible writing if that was the need be no and like way. oh totally. But you know, it was it, and I ogled the cute boys. How cute were the boys on that show? Come on, it was crazy. <laughs> and I fell in love with Amanda Pete and I developed a very very unhealthy girl crush on Amanda Pete, and like you know, it was a great, great time. It was a great time, and we That's we had a season. We didn't know if we were coming back, so I met on Dawson's. Mm-hmm. 
all of my stories are embarrassingly. And then I fell in love with this person. So I met on Dawson's, fell in love with Greg, didn't understand that Greg was unattainable <laughs> to me. <laughs> so I called Dan and I said, look, I don't know if I totally get Dawson's, but... I want to do it because I'm going to marry Greg, so we should we should go after that show. And Dan's like, you should probably not take the show to marry Greg because that's not going to happen. Don't break this to you. I don't know break this to you, but that's not happening. So then, and then Jack and Jill came back. So I went back to Jack and Jill. Mm -hmm. We got uh, only 13 in our second season, Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, because the fates worked out, they still needed someone on Mm -hmm. Dawson's. So I literally. I finished Jack and Jill, and two days later, I went to the fourth season of Dawson's hmm. to wrap was, out their end of that season. Was Jack and Jill a healthy room? Uh, I, to be totally honest, I would not know at all. I was so <laughs> excited. Yeah. I truly was like a, the Energizer Bunny. I was the happiest person. I was so happy to be like on this show that I thought was exactly. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I just thought it was perfect. Um, you know, again, in retrospect, I look back and there was so much mayhem going on up here that I didn't understand what sure. was happening. But know, it's also not your job, too. Oh, and not my job. We lost Randy, you know, mm-hmm. in second season. What was it? In the middle of the first season? We, we lo- Shenanigans were going on all over the place, but I could not have been more clueless about it, which I think was the... It's my general state of mind <laughs> to be clueless when helpful, but at that point it was gen- genuine. I had yeah. no idea. Well, and it was genuinely helpful. Also. Oh yeah, I mean, you could, like you said, you could be available. You could do the work. Yeah, and I met you could like be the punching bag. I could to totally be, be the nuts. punching bag. <laughs> yes, it's a great, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to be. It's what you're. It's what you, we called it. The DSB, the designated set bitch, oh, and that God. was sort of that was sort Awful. of the role. Yes, it was good. It was fun times. I was so young. It was, it was, it was adorable. But these are these are kind of great experiences to have when you are young and you can yes. take it, and your yes. ego isn't quite as fragile. And, Completely, because um, you wouldn't even know any better. Right, exactly. Yeah. That cluelessness goes a long way. It does. <laughs> um, so you go to Dawson's in the. Fourth season. I got was to that Dawson's. the last season? No. No. Dawson's actually went through season six. I went was to Dawson's. We Busy started in season five. Okay. Which was, which was the season that I was there for the whole year. So okay. I came in at the midpoint of season four. Okay. I got to write one episode in that back order. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another sort of notoriously tough room and yeah, tough situation. That was a tough situation. Yeah. That was crazy. Especially because in season five... Greg left to develop Everwood. Yeah. So the person who brought me in left. Yeah. I didn't really know the lay of the land as well. Um, and so I was there for all of season five. It was a little bit crazy. Did the hundredth episode. Um, and then when that year ended and Everwood got picked up, I wanted I wanted to go to Everwood. So I did sort of do... Kind of it was kind of great. But yeah. it was, the problem was that it was different studios. So I, and I, ha- so I had to do the asking. Mm-hmm. And I... But again, I think it's always better if you just are as straightforward as you can be. Cause so I called Jeannie Bradley, who had been... Ironically, it all comes together in this great, amazing way. <laughs> if I was ever able to tell it in the amazing way that it happened. <laughs> Jeannie Bradley is the person who got me the Ned and Stacy. Writers Guild internship. Oh wow! She gave me the Dawson's Creek pilot 
when I did the Ned and Stacy job because she said, This is the kind of show that one day will be perfect for you. That's so funny. And I remember her giving Everybody me the script. I knew what kind of show it was, <laughs> supposed, yes, to do. That was supposed to do. <laughs> it's so weird. And it was bizarre. And I remember reading that script that she gave me. And then, so cut to five, six, no, four. Four years later, or whatever, because yeah. they hadn't—it hadn't even been shot at that point. It was just a script. Right. Um, so I had to call Jeannie, who was still at Sony at the time, and say, "I want to go with Greg to Everwood. Is that okay with you?" And mm-hmm. because we had had sort of an open relationship, she totally understood. And I wound up going back to Warner Brothers, and then I stayed at Warner Brothers for from that point for another ten years. That's wild. I know. I know. Do you does staying with the studio for that long buy you goodwill on as you go from show to show? It staying in a studio for that long, I think, does a lot of things. It's it is amazing because it really does become like another family. But and so what's great about that is you feel all the support of your family and you are able to have all these very honest things. Mm-hmm. But I think the flip side is it can get dysfunctional and you can say mean things to each other because you're too comfortable with each other and you take each other for granted and I think that's always the flip side and it's because it's the most personal business in the world Mm -hmm. and as much as you always kind of want to revert to this thing of it's business you didn't like it the show didn't get picked up or this happened but it's business it's business but at the same time you're writing your story Mm-hmm. Most of the time, especially when you're writing these sort of character-based dramas, not maybe as much when you're writing The Mentalist, but mm-hmm. when you're writing shows where you're sure. constantly pulling stuff from your own life, shows about it's, feelings. yeah, it's personal. <laughs> so it gets it gets tricky. But it was a you know they were really good to me, and they were always I felt like they were always really trying and to to push my things forward, mm-hmm. and even with my first pilot with the Wheelers, mm-hmm. it was the very last script that ABC picked up right. and it was amazing because Peter had pushed for this giant round table with, with Stephen McPherson at the time to, and it was, I'll never forget this one either, because basically he had said okay, they really like the pilot um, Steve is bumping on this one thing, so you were going to go in and you're going to just talk to him about this one thing, and I got like six calls that day where everyone said he's bumping on this one thing and I was dying I had the worst flu of my life and I had to go in and I was like I get it I get it I know what he's bumping on I got it I'm gonna go I'm gonna I like so I loaded up on cold medicine I go into this meeting that you know Peter had forced with his Mm -hmm. sheer will um and we sit down and it's this huge room and everyone's looking at me like tell him the thing and Steve McPherson starts the meeting with the complete opposite thing that he no didn't way. get about the pilot, which was basically the entire premise. He, like, didn't what? buy it, wasn't into it, and I was like, if you don't like lawyers in the <laughs> South, I'm going to say this is not for you. So, And we don't have to do this whole meeting. If you don't like wow. blah, 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 and then we just had this whole right. other meeting, but it was amazing because he just completely... <laughs> said the opposite of what and so the whole room every single person who had called me that morning like slumped Mm -hmm. and it was it was a terrifying thing but then that afternoon I got the call and we got we were able to shoot it so it was it is nice when you have a family who's gonna push Mm -hmm. push for you uh, which is good and and 
that's for sure been the case with ABC. I mean, Mistresses could yeah. not be more of an underdog, and Patrick has just been every single time. We're doing it. We're doing it. What can we do? What can I do? How do you do this? So it's like it's great. It it, it is really nice when you can form these bonds and really have these sure. conversations. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's there's an understanding that starts to happen. Yeah. Um, you've worked on a number of different kinds of shows. I'm thinking of like comparing Mistresses to even to Red Band, which you know totally different. Yeah. The tones are different. They're various degrees of soap opera. Are there? Is there? A show or even an episode that has your stamp on it that you can say, this represents me, this is the stuff I'm interested in, this is who I am? I think the show that best represents my my voice would be privileged. Mm-hmm. Um, because it... I found... I loved writing a show about women that had a positive message underneath that had a lot of humor I thought and still brought the emotion mm-hmm. um, and was even despite a kind of heightened sensibility to the Palm Beach and the wealthy lifestyle it was the most grounded um, but right now in my life I think I do look forward to writing about adults you know whereas it, it, there's a shift mm. when because I, I did spend so much time writing about teenagers and for teenagers and I think that's what's made Red Band kind of an easier fit for me because I do tend to draw from all, from all of that training in the beginning yeah, but the pilot that I wrote a few years ago that d- didn't go forward I was really looking forward to writing that it was about it was with David Nutter, and it was the doctor, and Christine Lottie, and Scott Foley, before everyone mm. realized, again, that Scott Foley's a genius. I was like, yeah, I knew that. We all saw Felicity. We all, we all saw Felicity. <laughs> I knew forever that Scott Foley was going to be a major totally. freaking TV star again. I had him in a pilot. <laughs> it was so good. Um, but nobody saw it. But, like, I was... That one was a... I was looking forward to doing that. Mm-hmm. And Mistresses is super fun for me mm-hmm. to do. It's much more melodrama, though. It's yes. much more heightened soap. So I well, do... it feels like that's that's a side of you, for sure. For sure. I, mean, I think we've seen that. For sure, that's for sure. So you get to play in that world and then yeah. go be heavier over here. And, exactly. Yeah, um, I have. I forgot about to ask about Gilmore Girls. <sighs> I was so late to the Gilmore Girls party. When I, were you on it? I was on it just for seventh season. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I came after Amy had already left. Yeah. And it was the very end, and they knew it was the last season, so they were really wrapping it up. Yeah. Um, and it was... I had come off of Everwood, and it was mm-hmm. the smarting oh, of, <laughs> you know, not getting picked up, yeah. which... So it was tough. That that was that was a tougher. Well, it was a transition for them. It was a transition yeah. for you. Yeah, that's a and weird time. It was a weird time. It was a weird time. It, yeah. I didn't have, and then it was my first year developing. So, but I got to write a Gilmore Girls script, and I got to, I got to see what it is to write a seventy-five page script that somehow whittles <laughs> itself down to forty minutes of television. That's funny. And I couldn't believe it. The, the scripts that came out of that room. Lauren Graham and Alexis Bledel would have to memorize 80 pages of blading the blading. I mean, yeah. if you asked any... I couldn't imagine... <laughs> I couldn't imagine turning in an 80-page... Right now, if I turn in a 50-page script, I get calls going, yeah. is this really necessary? I'm like, I, like yeah, I think, I think so. 
it's an hour. I don't know. But was there fun in writing that kind of script for you? Gilmore? I mean, you seem like a dialogue person. Yeah, I mean, it was. And, and for whatever reason, they had no rules on Gilmore Girls. You know, you were allowed to use... It's, it seems so stupid, but it sucks when you're writing and you have to make everything generic. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to... It's, it's a dumb thing that no one thinks about, but it's like saying Malamars and Twizzlers or, or whatever, all those things that were very yeah. specific to Gilmore Girls. That's true. It made the show feel more real, and it, 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 it's, it's this constant struggle now where you can't say anything. You can't use any brand name. It's such a battle. That's and it's another thing that you, I think you choose as a showrunner if you're going to fight that battle. It's not a battle for me that I choose because there's so many in a day and that one I'm like but I know there are some showrunners like that's a battle for them mm-hmm. and they will they will fight every week they will get on the phone with their BSNP person and like punch them to the ground and, you know until they get to say Malamars right. you know and God bless them because I do think Malamars is funnier absolutely <laughs> than, than, than Cookie yeah. and you know what those brand names yeah. do I mean, like and, I say yeah. it grounds it it's the specificity and Gilmore was fun in that way because you just got to write that's funny it was like it was like writing an improv it was crazy that's great yeah um, alright that's all I want to hear uh, <laughs> alright so Red Man Society rolls on rolls on um, you're uh, we're, we're gonna start seeing your stuff it's going to be real cool. We did. To be honest, I came in right. Episode two was was when I started. So oh, okay. all of that, yeah. So we were already we're already in it. Great. Yeah, it's okay. fun. It's um, good stuff. When is it on? Remind me. It's people. on Wednesday nights at okay. nine o'clock on Fox. Very good. Uh, and then Mistresses next <laughs> Mistresses, year. Mistresses Summer Series Season Three. Yeah. Uh, we're going to still be on. I think in the same time slot. Monday nine. Monday nights, ten o'clock after the Bachelorette. All right. Very so good. Exciting. Um, Man, good luck once those once that starts rolling. <laughs> I know my child will hate me and it will never see me again, but that's okay. <laughs> He's got a really good dad. There you go. That's all. You <laughs> uh, tell us before we wrap up. Uh, do you have time to watch television? Is there stuff that you are watching and talking about with your spouse, your room, your friends? There is. I mean, I I wish I watched more. I am so behind on all of the cable genius, and <laughs> I know that I'm da- I'm lost. Netflix. I'm a disaster. But I will not miss a good wife. I love it. It's like it keeps it's, getting better. It keeps the crazy getting thing. better. The season premiere this year blew my mind. And I find it, honestly, like inspirational in that they reinvent themselves every mm. year. And, and it's a good reminder yeah. as a show. Like when you're constantly being thrown challenges. I look at the good wife, I'm like, they figured it out. And they made it better. We can do that. We can so I love The Good Wife. I love Nurse Jackie. I oh I watched the Blackish premiere and I thought it was hilarious. It was really good. I really liked it. I'm excited about Galavant. Those <laughs> those look. You, so, it seems like you have a horse in that race. I got a horse in the Galavant <laughs> race. I'm not gonna lie, but it seems super. Fun. It seems super funny. Um, and now oh and I watch Parenthood. I'm still right. a sucker for Parenthood. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I don't know that anything will ever beat the year of Monica Potter's. Uh, cancer. It was brutal. In the, I cried. Yeah. Scott would literally not come in the room when I was watching Parenthood because he always <laughs> talked during shows. And there was a point in the year where I was like, "You have to stay up. I'm going to get my cry on for an hour, and we will talk later." Um, oh no! I waited till my wife was out to watch that show. Oh yeah, it's br- <laughs> it was the most brutal, amazing season of television. Um, that's funny. But yeah, no, I've got, but there's more, there's so many more things I want to watch. I'm excited about How to Get Away with Murder. I haven't seen it yet. 
I uh, there's just there's a bunch, but cool. I'm, well, you're never gonna have time. Again. I'm never gonna have time. I, I don't even read. <laughs> remember, remember books? Remember books? I think the la- I, uh, Jonathan Tropper, thank God for Jonathan Tropper, is the so last good. book I read like eight months ago. So it was, it was worth it. Listen, you have children and shows. Uh, yeah, time. that's it. There's no time. Uh, Rita, thank you so much for sitting and talking with me. Thank you so much for coming. This was so fun. A pleasure. <laughs> Yay. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 